Can you hear me? Great. Good morning. Village Church in Huntsville, Alabama. There's other, you know, there's other village churches. I noticed I kind of looked you up and I discovered that there's, this is a popular name. So it's, it's a great name. It's good to be here. Uh, very briefly, uh, my name is Y. Plummer. Uh, I've been in the PCA uh, for a lot of years, since 1981, when the Lord brought me to himself. And I was born again. I hadn't, I hadn't been to church since I was in college. And God saved me, and he put me in a PCA church. I, I, I often tell people I didn't ask to be saved, and I didn't ask to be a Presbyterian. But in his sovereign grace, that's where he, where he put me. And I grew there. I actually remarried my wife. We were divorced like a week when I got saved and she got saved in two different places. And God reconciled us and he brought us back together. We got married in that church in, in that church in Reston, Virginia, Northern Virginia, right, right outside of D.C. And we've been walking with the Lord and struggling ever since. <laughs> it's my delight to be able to bring you God's word uh, today. And we're going to be looking at First Peter, first chapter. You can turn there. I'll be reading out the ESV, and I believe that's the version that you use. True? Most PCA churches are beginning to convert. I used to use the NIV, and then everybody started converting. So I, did, so I had to convert over along with everybody else, too. So I hope that's the version that, you, uh, that you're utilizing. First Peter... Chapter 1, beginning in the first verse. Hear God's word. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit, for the obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor, at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your soul. This is God's word. Let us pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, our God and our King, we thank you for your grace. 
We thank you for your mercies. We thank you that you have caused us to be born again. You have given us salvation. You have given us hope in Jesus Christ, our only hope. I pray, Lord, this morning that you would bless your word, that you would drill it into our hearts, that we might hear it and be changed, that our eyes would be opened, that our minds would be illuminated to the reality that you are God and that you love us and that you've prepared a place for us and that we long and look forward to the day in which we can see you face to face. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Did you know that when you were born into this world that you were born spiritually dead? Into a sin-cursed world of sin and pain and suffering? You were born into a world without hope. Now, in America, we can deceive ourselves into believing that we can actually find hope and happiness in this world. Yeah, we may only have 70 years, maybe 80 years, and you know, on the outside we may have 90. My, my mother is 95 years old. And we can even deceive ourselves, as one TV preacher said, that you could have your best life now. But the first century Christians did not delude themselves with such distortions. The average life expectancy was only 40 years old if you made it past childhood. The infant mortality rate was 50%. And most people had a lot of children because half of them are going to die. They were, there was always a threat of plagues and pestilence and diseases. They didn't enjoy the miracle drugs that we enjoy today. There was no penicillin. There were no drugs that would extend their lives. Life was hard. And to make matters even worse, there was persecution going on in the first century through the Roman government. And it is to these Christians that Peter writes this letter. Throughout the province of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, Peter is writing a letter of encouragement. In the face of difficulty and suffering, he writes a letter of hope. In the midst of hardship and difficulty, made even harder through persecution, Peter wants to encourage them and to model what it means to follow Christ. He tells them in 1 Peter 3.15 that they should revere Christ as Lord and always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks them for the reason of the hope that they have in them. In the midst of difficulty, suffering, and hardship and persecution, these Christians were supposed to be so filled with hope that people would actually look at them and say, where's your hope? They were supposed to be so filled would hope that people would actually ask them about it, and they needed to be ready to give an answer. Today is Palm Sunday. Paradoxically, it was actually a day of hope. The crowds were shouting Hosanna to the highest, yet even a few days later they were going to say crucify him because they, he disappointed them. 
But we know that a few days later, that the greatest hope in the world would be born through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And today I want to talk about hope under three headings. What is hope? What kind of hope does the world have to offer? And what kind of hope does God offer us? So first of all, what is hope? We talk about hope all the time. We've been hoping ever since we were little kids and waiting for that great Christmas to come along. Christmas seemed to take a long time when you were a kid. But you were hoping that you would get something special. We, were, we hoped as children as we went to school, we hoped that the other kids would accept us. We hoped that high school would be better than middle school. Middle school was really tough for some of us. We hope that we can get good grades. We hope that we can get into college. We hope that we can make money. We hope that we can have a good life. We hope for good traffic. I hope when I go home there won't be an accident in the road. Hope I'm not in an accident. We hope for our favorite teams to win in basketball and football or the World Cup. Everybody hopes. You see, we need hope. We run on hope the same way a car runs on gasoline. In fact, hopelessness can lead to suicide. Proverbs 13, 12 tells us that hope deferred makes the heart sick. But a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. We need hope. We can't live without hope. But what is hope? Hope is a wish for something and is attached to a confident expectation that something is going to fulfill it. Hope always has desire and an object of expectation. Hope can be thought of as the intersection of desire and expectation. Let's take the, since I brought up Christmas, let's take the, the, the Christmas story. Many of us see the Christmas story every year. We remember uh, little Ralphie. What, what did little Ralphie, Ralphie wanted a, he wanted this Red Ryder BB gun. He just wanted this so badly. That was his longing. Life would be so wonderful if I just had this Red Ryder BB. And he tried to persuade his parents. You remember his desire? The gun. That's going to make life better. His expectation? His parents were going to give it to him. And he tried to manipulate them. He tried to write a special essay in school to get the teacher on his side. Tried to get his, and you know, you know, the refrain was, "Ah, you'll shoot your eye out." <laughs> no, they didn't want to give it to him. And Christmas come, great expectation, great desire coming together. He looks around. That's what he really wants. There's a lot of other stuff there. He doesn't want this stuff, and he doesn't seem to get it. But then his daddy says, "What? What's that over in the corner?" And he, and he goes and he. And he, and he picks it up, and it's the gun that he's always wanted, and he almost shoots his eye out. And as much as we might want to make light of this story, we are all very much like Ralphie, living for various hopes. Because how we live our lives in the present is largely governed by our hopes. Tim Keller, pastor in New York City at Redeemer Church uses an illustration that I've found to be helpful to illustrate this concept of hope 
and how we live for hope. There are two workers. One is told at the end of a year he's going to get $10,000, and the other one is told he's going to get a million dollars, and it's an assembly line, boring job, the worst kind of job, tedious. Now, the one is getting $10,000, feels that life and work is a drudgery. Ah, oh, I have to do this every day. But I wonder if you can imagine what the one who's going to get a million dollars at the end of the year thinks. Hey, piece of cake! Because he's looking forward to the million dollars at the end of the year. Same job. But their hopes are different. And so they live differently. You see, what you believe about the future largely shapes how you experience the present. We see this principle illustrated in the Bible through the story of Jacob and Rachel. You remember the story. He's really wanted Rachel for his wife. And he was told that he had, to, he, he had to work seven years to do it, to get her. But the Bible tells us that those seven years seem like only a few days because of his love for Rachel. Your attitude towards life and your present circumstance is largely governed by your hopes. But unfortunately, most people live for the hopes of this world, and even we Christians can tend to live for the hopes of this world. Second point, what kind of hope does the world have to offer? The world does offer a kind of hope, but it's a hope that can easily disappoint. And that's why the word hope in the English language is often used to mean wishful thinking. It may or may not happen. You may or may not get it. The world was really not designed to give us final because the world is fallen. It's broken, isn't it? Ever since Adam and Eve sinned by eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, there's been a curse on the world. And Romans 8.20 says that the creation was subject to frustration, not by his own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope. There's a curse on the world, but there's a hope. Unfortunately, Adam and Eve began to put their hope in this world. Created to put their hope in God, to look to Him for their hope, they put it in all the wrong places. And we all have longings and desires for hope in this world. We look for happiness here, don't we? Purpose, meaning, significance, security. But we're looking for hope in all the wrong places, in situations, in relationships, in circumstances. But the world's broken. You see, the hope for which God subjected the world was supposed to be a hope in him, but we keep putting it here. And we delude ourselves into thinking that we can actually find hope in this world. Have you ever noticed how everything just seems to run down? Everything, everything frustrates. Even though those great Christmas presents are broken in a week. <laughs> the great joy that we have, we, we anticipate the, the, the new iPhone coming out. I'm a techie. You know, the thrill is gone after, after a week or even in, in our relationships. 
The Bible warns against putting our hope in the things of this world. Isaiah asked the question, why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labors for that which does not satisfy? The psalmist warns, do not put your trust in princes and human beings who cannot save. We live in a disappointing world. And many of our hopes in this life have already been disappointed. Many of us have been disappointed through our families, our friendships. We've been betrayed. People have talked about us behind our back. The hopes that many of us put in our relationships. I thought that one of the reasons I I, I said early on that me and my wife got remarried. Well, we got divorced because I put all my hope in that. I was going to get married and it was going to answer all my longings. And it didn't. And so I divorced her and I thought I could find somebody else who would, eh, it doesn't work. Don't put your hope in things of this world. We long for things here and, and, and many people, many times we don't get it. And we figure, well, I'm young enough and I'll eventually get it. Well, many of us put our hope in there and then we get it and we discover that it doesn't fulfill. Jim Carrey, who I'm I'm assuming you're familiar with, said, I think everyone should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so that they can see that it's not the answer. The book of Ecclesiastes attests to the frustration and the hopelessness of life under the sun when it says, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun. Generations come, generations go, but the earth remains the same. The sun rises, the sun sets, and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and around it goes, ever returning on course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place of the streams from where they came, and they return again. All things are wearisome. More than one can say. The eye never gets enough of seeing, nor the ear enough of hearing. What has been will be again, and what has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Pretty depressing. Pretty, pretty wearisome. Pretty discouraged. Downright un-American. And if you're feeling a little discouraged and a little depressed, it's saying, boy, where's this going? I've got good news for you. You see, because God gives us a hope that's not like that. God gives us a hope that doesn't disappoint. So what kind of hope does God offer? In his great mercy, God gives us living hope. Verse 3, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into what a living hope. If you are a Christian today, you have been born again into a living hope, a hope that is alive, a hope that is kept in heaven for you, a hope that is more valuable than a billion dollars, a hope that can't be destroyed. You have been born into a hope that can't disappoint because according to Romans 5, God has poured his love 
into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom He has given us. The love that we long for in us and every human being longs for it has been given to us by God. But you need to be born again. Because your first birth only bore, bore you into this sinful and work. You need to be born again. Are you born again today? Have you asked Jesus into your heart? Because in this second birth, you have been born into a hope that is alive. And verse 4 continues to tell us what we get with this new birth. It says, and we've been born into not only a living hope, but into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. You see, all earthly inheritances will one day perish or spoil or fade away, but not your heavenly inheritance. A heavenly inheritance can never fade and be taken away. In fact, Peter says that we're actually being guarded by God's power until the day of our inheritance. And you can picture the guard as, as, as guards around us. Think of the security of, of, of the president. Well, that's how God guards you. And the realization of this hope can actually change how we live our lives. You remember the two workers, how one was drudgery, you have to do it, because his expectation were, was very low. But the other one, who had a high expectation, he was going to get a million, he whistled when he came to work. Well, you're going to get a lot more than a million. You are going to have more money than, than you'll ever, you'll have more wealth and more security and a freedom that you've never experienced in this world. How differently would you live if you knew for certain that you were going to live forever, that you were going to be given a new body where you never got gray, where it never wrinkled, where it never faded. You were going to live in a renewed earth where there was no sin, where people didn't talk about you behind your back, where you're never worried again, that you would never have to worry about money. You see, if you are a child of God, that's your living hope worth more than money can describe. You see, if somebody promised you wealth on, on, on this, or they're going to give you an inheritance, that may or may not be fulfilled because, they, you know, the their portfolio could go down. They could lose their money. But when God makes us a promise, he guarantees us, not only he guarantees us that he's going to fulfill his promise. And you know how he did it? He did it by raising Jesus from the dead. God gives us a hope that is a certainty because it's based on the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Verse 3, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. How? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. 
And the resurrection of Jesus Christ makes all the difference in the world. 1 Corinthians 15 explains that if Jesus has not been risen from the dead, then the apostles were liars. Our faith is vain, and we can't believe the Bible. If Jesus has not been raised from the dead, then we're still guilty in our sin. If Jesus has not risen from the dead, those who have died in Christ have perished. If, of all people, our hope is realized in this life only, and we, of all people, need to be pitied. But, 1 Corinthians 15 goes on to say, Christ indeed has been raised from the dead. He is the first fruit of those who have fallen asleep. The reason we have a living hope is because our hope is alive, because our hope is a person. It's the person of Jesus Christ who is alive, who sits at the right hand of the Father even now. The hope is that one day we will be raised to new life just like Jesus with an imperishable body without the burden of sin, and we will see Jesus face to face. And notice that the Christian hope is not based on anything that you accumulate on earth. It's not based on how good you are, because if it was based on how good you are, you wouldn't get it. It's based solely on the grace of God. It's based solely on the grace and the mercy of God. And if it sounds too good to believe, that's because it's nothing that we could deliver ourselves. The living hope that Peter promises frees us to live now because we know that we're protected and we know how our story ends. Have you ever looked at a, at a mystery or uh, on, on, in a movie and, and you've seen it for the second time? You know, what, or you know what's going to happen. So you're sitting with a friend, and the friend hasn't seen the movie, and you know how it's going to end. So you're kind of chilling, and the, the friend is kind of on edge and wondering what's going to happen next. But you say, yeah, 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 yeah. Because you've seen it already. You see, our lives, with the difficulties, the ups and the downs and the trials and the difficulties, in a sense, we could say, yeah, 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 mm-hmm, yeah, because we know how our story ends. Not quite like the Calvinist who fell down the stairs, who said it when he get, hit the bottom and said, yeah, mm-hmm, glad that's over. <laughs> Not quite that cynical. But we know how our story ends. We know. And so the difficulties, the ups and the downs, we can bear because we know that we're safely in the hands of our God. You know, we try to figure out life all the time, and we really can't. Think about the story of, of, of Joseph and his brothers. You remember Joseph's brothers were jealous of him. They sold him into slavery. They thought they had gotten rid of him. They come back. They tell Jacob what happened. Jacob thinks he's lost his son. But we all know, because we've written, reading the story, that, that, that Joseph has, has goes to Potiphar's house, and he does well, and his life goes up, and he thinks, and then... Potiphar's wife accuses him of, of trying to molest her and, 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 and Potiphar throws him into prison and Joseph's life goes back down again and then, and then he tells the, 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 the two people in prison about, uh, the, he interprets dreams and 
you know, up and down, up and down. And then finally he has a happy ending. You know, he's the second in command. You know, but we're reading the story. But when you're in the story, it seems so scary. But we know the ending. And in the same way, we know our ending. Our lives make sense because God puts them in a context. He puts them in the context that he is writing every page of our script. And he tells us what the ending is already. All you got to do is go to Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And the seas were no more, and I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bridegroom adorned for a husband. And I heard a voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. And he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain. We know our ending. The Apostle Paul calls the trials and the difficulties that we go through here on this. He calls them a brief momentary affliction. Now, I know they don't feel that way when we're going through them, but he calls them a brief momentary affliction. And in verse 6, Peter says that we can rejoice even in the midst of them. He says, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various We're all going through trials and difficulties. They're different. Don't compare your trials to somebody else because God constituted you to deal with the trials that he's given you. Sometimes we look at other people and we go, you don't understand suffering now. Let me No, don't. all of our trials and difficulties are different. When I hear about what Christians are going through in, in, in Syria and other places, I say, I don't know if I could do that. Uh, I God prepares each of us for the difficulties and the trials that he is taking us to through. And we can actually have internal joy even through the midst of the difficulties and the trials that he's taking us through. And one of the reasons is because we know how our story ends. We know that Romans 8.28 is, is, is true when we says that we know that all things that... Go, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And another reason we can even rejoice in difficulties is because our suffering serves a purpose. Verse 7, so that the tested genuine of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor. Our trials and our difficulties are making us more and more like Jesus. All trials are filtered through the hands of our God. You remember the story of, of Job, I'm sure, who was considered one of the most righteous people in his time, yet God allowed the devil to have at him. 
But the thing we need to realize is that it all filtered through the hands of God. This was just not random suffering and difficulty, losing everyone, his family and, and everything, and the grief, that, and, and not having great friends who were able to properly comfort him. It all filtered through God's And he was with him. And he was shielding him the whole time. The same way he shields us through our difficulties. Although we've been given a living hope and a living God, and although we have been given a great promise, and although we know intellectually, it's still hard, isn't it? It's still hard to hold on to the living hope. We keep latching ourselves onto the hopes of this world. And that's called idolatry. And in the Old Testament, Israel was warned against the tendency to go to idols, the tendency to find our hope in other things. But we have Jesus. Jesus who continually warns and tells us to look to him. You remember when he came to the woman at the well. See, she, 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 she had five husbands, and the man she's living with now was not her husband. She was putting her hope in men, if I can find the right man. And Jesus tells her about water, about a living water. He said, whoever drinks this water that I give him will never thirst again. Jesus is our real hope. He was telling the woman at the well about himself, the living water. Martha, who had just lost Lazarus, who had lost hope that Jesus wasn't there. If you had only been here. And he says, she says, yeah, I know I'm going to see him again in the, in, in the resurrection. That's, see, she had, she had put it off. But she's standing there with the resurrection. She's standing there with the hope. And Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live forever, even though he dies. Jesus tells us to come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Are you going to Jesus for your rest? He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. When we put our hope in the things of this world, our soul does not find rest. We are always looking things. If we only had more money, if I only made more, and it never ends. Like being on a treadmill. But if you rest and put your hope in Jesus, you can rest. But how do we stay focused on this hope? In the closing, I want to give you five things that will keep you focused, that will hopefully help you to stay focused on this living hope that only God can give. One, ask God to fill you with his spirit so that you can see the living hope. You don't get there in the flesh. It's a spiritual reality that we need to ask God to illuminate our eyes to see. You remember how blind you were before you were born again, and God opened your eyes and you could see a little bit more. And as you grow and as you read the scriptures and as you pray, your eyes begin to open up more and more and more and more. We need to be in constant prayer, asking God to illuminate us. We need to, be, we need to ask Jesus to fill us with his spirit that we might be able to see. 
Secondly, study 1 Peter. 1 Peter is all about hope. 1 Peter 1.13 argues that we should obey, not because life is easy, but because we have a living hope. 1 Peter 2.11 tells us that we live like aliens because we know that this is not our final destination. 1 Peter 2.13 teaches us to submit to the authorities and work respectfully in the workplace, not because we have nice bosses, but because we have a living hope to look forward to. 1 Peter 2.23 tells us to put, our, put up with insults from other people. That's really hard. Because they're no longer the source of our hope. What they think of us, their compliments, you know how we live for approval. Eh, we don't need it. 1 Peter 3 teaches us that the only way to a great marriage is if your spouse is not your final hope. Your final hope is Jesus, it's not your spouse. 1 Peter 3, 8 teaches us that our living hope enables us to endure suffering. So study, study 1 Peter. Third, find like-minded believers who are also experiencing the living hope. Real fellowship is encouraging one another in Christ. It's not just milk and cookies. It's not just hanging out. It's, just, it's, it's, it's real in-depth relationship where we encourage one another. I am just, let me see, I've been married for 40 seven years, if we, if we not count the intermission in there that we had. And I am just beginning to get to, the, get to the point where I can listen to my wife's criticism. And I'm, I'm, I'm thanking God that he gave me someone who didn't, who didn't just totally agree with me. Because that, that creates blind spots. Where we, need, we need that opposite person to see things that we can't see. And the same thing with friends and fellowship that we have. We need to be able to go to our brothers and sisters and, and, and be encouraged by them and for them to point out our blind spots and the things that we're doing without being defensive because <laughs> that's going to be our first reaction is to be defensive. Find like-minded believers who want to experience the living hope. Fourthly, be thankful. Wake up thankful. Thank you, Jesus, for life. Stop taking life for granted. See, we can become like teenagers. You know how teenagers take their parents for granted? No offense. You, you, I used to do it. Same thing. We just take them, we just assume that, you know, this is my room, this is my house. They don't pay anything. We do the same thing with God. We just take, take God for granted. Be thankful. Be thankful when we wake up in the morning. Be thankful for everything that he's, he, he's given us, even the difficulties, because they're bringing things out in us. Be thankful. Be encouraged. Be joyful that you have been given a living hope. Lastly, remember that all biblical hope is a certainty because our living hope is a person. It's Jesus Christ. Your hope can't stay here. Your hope is not in this world. It's in another place. It's in Jesus. You see, because this world is coming to an end, this sin-cursed world is coming to an end. Another Tim Keller illustration. He talks about a lumberjack who is getting ready to, to 
kill, cut down all the trees in a, in a forest. And there's a bird that's trying to make a nest in one of the trees, and the lumberjack needs to knows, knows that the forest is coming down. So he goes and he, and he hits on the side of the tree with the back of his axe, and the bird's all flittering around and finds another tree. And the lumberjack goes over there and he does the same thing with that tree. And the bird goes finds another tree. And the lumberjack goes and he hits against that tree until the bird finally flies up and lands on a rock. We need a solid place to land. And it's not in this world. And it's not in the things of this world. Where is your hope. Let me close with this. My hope is built on nothing less. You've heard this. Then Jesus' blood and righteousness. No merit of my own I claim, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All of the ground is sinking. Our gracious Heavenly Father, our God and King, we thank you for your word.